Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Martin Lawrence, owner of M. Lawrence & Company Chartered Accountants. M. Lawrence & Company is an accountancy firm which serves sole traders and small companies. Martin, hello. Good morning to you. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Leader, uh, I think it can mean a lot of different things, to be honest with you. But I think I'm the person that's taking the ultimate responsibility um, of the firm and then using my skills, if you like, to ensure that everybody in the firm signs into the ethos of the firm and together we, we, we drive it forward. It's, I'm not a leader in terms of dictating. I'm just a leader that, that basically tries to bring everything together. So you wish to create a, a collaborative uh, feeling within your firm? That, that's the way we work. That's exactly the way my firm works. It, it's more of a collaborative. But somebody still has got to be, if you like, the head. Mm. If you like, the person taking the risk, person that is actually, um, if there's a major problem, to deal with the major problem and to ensure everything, if you like. We, we take all the boxes at the end of any given period. Well, at the end of the day, leadership and management comes down to one thing, dealing with people. Because, of course, employees, employees are people. Uh, yes. How do you deal with the issues that crop up with humans? Well, the important thing is to make sure everybody is involved in, in, the, in the day-to-day process and the, and the overall ethos of, 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 the, of the business. And if there's a problem, that problem has to be dealt with, if you like, immediately. We, we, we don't let any um, problems fester. And, and most probably, if there is a problem, let's say one of the staff has not got something quite right, then the, the, the important thing is we, we get it put right and we, and we basically think to ourselves, how can we stop that happening again? And I think that and you deal with things as they happen rather than pushing them to one side. Now, of course, uh, you deal in a, in a field that is highly regulated. Uh, it is. And if you were to make any uh, errors, uh, it could have grave uh, results for any of your clients. How do you handle uh, the stress levels uh, that your uh, staff uh, will uh, serve under? Well, you say we're heavily regulated. That is quite correct. And clearly, we, we're only human beings at the end of the day. But the important thing is you try not to make any mistakes. And most things that go out of this practice to the outside world, i.e. company's house, uh, England revenue, information to the clients, I would say in in total terms, that's most probably checked three times before it actually goes out. Uh, It is, is first of all, inputted if the accounts are first all done, uh, once the accounts are then done, it then go either to a uh, an inputter, which will obviously then check your mathematics and everything else. We'll then have an interview with the client. So once again, we look at all the figures with the client before the client signs it off. So any particular piece of work is effectively checked three times. 
So it's so important to work as a team. Sorry? So it's very important to work as a team. Absolutely. The, the team, without without the staff, you're absolutely sunk. Uh, you, without your team, you, you might as well pack up and go home. You've got to have a good team. You've got to be a strong team. And everybody trusts each other. That's the important thing. Now, how did you come to your personal leadership style? Was there an individual that took you under your wing early in your career that formed the way that you operate today? No, I'm... I'm I actually think I learned the hard way. I, I was I was initially in industry, and I felt industry was very cutthroat. And if something went wrong in, in industry, somebody had done something wrong, they were happy to hang that person. The, the last thing they wanted to do, the boss or whatever, he, he would distance himself very quickly from, from that problem. And people would be dismissed, uh, reprimanded, Etc. For, for not doing things correctly, and to me, the, the, the ethos is of some of these people in industry were totally wrong. And the late, the last firm I worked for, which was quite some time ago now, um, was a typical example of that. And in the end, the, the, the company went into, into liquidation because it simply had the wrong style. It did not have a corporation style. It almost had a policy. Anything goes wrong, it's nothing to do with me. And people would basically, to me, crawl over people or jump over people to try and get their promotions. And, to, to, and that is totally the wrong way, I, I, I believe. And I also think that sometimes in, in, in public life today, uh, that people, can, a, they've done something wrong and they get hung for it, if you like, rather than helped. So I think that's, that's the big problem. Um, I think if, if we had a more of a cooperative uh, ethos in, in the country, I think we, this place would be a far better place. So it's important to take responsibilities for your failings, but not be left out the drive for them. Take responsibility for your failings, but try and put it right and, and don't hang somebody because that may be their fault. You try and rectify it. I mean, lots of things are, are rectifiable. I mean, okay, let's say, pretend we do a, 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 a wrong tax return, a wrong set of accounts, and and it, it comes to our knowledge. I mean, I could be honest with you, I'm, I'm I'm even struggling to find out where we where that has happened. But if it did happen, we do do occasionally get tax returns incorrect uh, because the information you're given turns out to be incorrect, given to you by the client. Um, they've been given the wrong figure, whatever. And But you can resubmit a tax return uh, and ask it to be amended. So you can put tax returns right after the, the, they've, they've been submitted incorrectly. Um, but normally that is not my fault. That is normally the fault of the client. He has unfortunately given you wrong information. It may not be the fault of the client. It could be the fact that he himself has been given wrong information or, or he's been misled as to what should go on his tax return. I mean, it, it does happen. It, um, it doesn't happen very often. Um, I suppose that uh, we do, uh, other tax returns we do, he, he wouldn't he wouldn't be 0.01% we have to change. It's very, very, very small figures. 
Now, to just uh, ramble off track for one moment, the government recently has announced uh, a raising of the tax-free threshold uh, for workers. How do you see that uh, impacting uh, your uh, particular sector? It won't impact my own business. I actually believe uh, that that is the case. I think the the, 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 the tax-free allowance should be increased. I, I like to see it go up even higher. So I have no problem with that at all. When, when I consider that people only earn £12,500 and more readily also if they only earn about £8,500, they pay national insurance. Now those those, those, those uh, numbers are too low. They should be a lot higher. I think that the national insurance levels should be the same as the tax levels. And I think the tax levels are still too low. Although they've made a bit of an effort to increase them to 12.5, I would like to see them to be 15,000. I think until we get to 15,000, to me, if you're only earning 15,000, why should you pay tax if you're only earning 15,000? I mean, clearly, nothing like a livable wage. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be, I think, a rethink. And I'm, I'm happy that the, the first allowances are, are going to be hopefully further increased. Now, do you think, uh, because, of course, the tax structure in this country is rather complicated, which uh, obviously works well for organizations that specialize, specialize in dealing with taxes, uh, but would you be in favor of a flat tax? I, I'm, if you read my article, uh, I'm absolutely uh, amazed more more um, more people haven't asked me asked me about the my idea that there should be basically a transaction tax. A transaction tax is a, is a flat tax, and a transaction tax should take place and be charged on, on the ultimate sale of those goods or those services. And obviously, it wouldn't. I, I would certain exclusions be would be from that. And the, the most probably be the same exclusions you have from VAT, i.e., for example, food would be obviously wouldn't come into it, children's clothes obviously wouldn't come into it. But on most other things, I would have a flat rate of tax, and a flat rate of tax w- would be a much fairer situation we have at the moment, because there's so many companies in this country where the transactions take take place in this country, and they're not taxed at all. Whereas we have a flat rate of tax, everybody would be picked up. And the money we would, we, we would raise from this would be colossal. It would put everything right. Uh, if, if you worked out what a 5% flat tax would be, it, you would mostly, you, you put everything right. You have no problem with your hospitals, your NHS, your police, your prisons and everything else, and, and your education. So to me, sooner they look at a flat tax position, that would mean that people like um, Starbucks, I guess, one, Amazon, maybe two. Uh, these these firms play very, very little in tax, and they're able to do all sorts of weird and wonderful things, and they pay sod all. Whereas if clearly, if they had a transaction tax, that, that would be paying tax in the country in which this transaction took place. Therefore, Amazon sold goods and services in this country. If they would be have a flat rate tax, and 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 it would apply to everybody else, it seems to evade tax in this country at the moment. Well, Martin, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. I very much look forward to having you on the program again, so we can get into this even further. Thank you, Martin.
Okay, thank you then. That was Martin Lawrence, owner of M. Lawrence & Company Chartered Accountants. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final. 
when I played. And so he, he was more, looks upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And, um, uh, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict for the time. You probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. 
And it looked at that space as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into him because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know. 
Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one, which I won't bore you into. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. On this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard of somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh, if if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think, um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a play, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. 
he has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking. Um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that. So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I'm going back to an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially. And that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the... Um, uh, Getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time, and I wouldn't. And when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. 
we have some great I players. You... We have some great players, of course, but without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.